Welcome to Renaissance Man, hosted by Jalen Rose. This week's episode is about seizing the opportunity when it presents itself, featuring Katie Couric. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to this week's Renaissance Man podcast presented by the New York Post. What is a renaissance man? Well, I have the answer for you. A renaissance man is someone who keeps his ear to the streets and fingers on the pulse of fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Each week, you have three steps. Let's make sure we're on the same page. Check out the column every Thursday in the New York Post. Download, subscribe, and rate the podcast. Third, check us out on the New York Post YouTube page. Each episode from the first one with Big Sean to the most recent with Katie Couric is there. We chronicle some of the most interesting people in the industry. And I'm very gracious to be able to do this project each week to bring you behind the curtain. Remember, subscribe and rate the pod. We still have a five-star rating. Y'all know that's my favorite number. Each week, I'm going to make sure I acknowledge some reviews that we've gotten from the previous week. Here's one for this week. What up, though? In and out, friend. Appreciate you taking the time. Jalen's the best. The realest life and hoops guru. Jalen is changing the world with his enthusiasm and game. I appreciate the love. That means a lot to me. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Support the Renaissance Man column each Thursday in the New York Post, as well as our podcast. Let's talk about seizing the opportunity. In 2020-21, we have this thing called the internet and social media that allows you to just press send or DM somebody that you've never met, including a celebrity. And there's a 50-50 chance that they may respond. That human interaction was vastly different when I was a youngster. Imagine being fifth grade, 10 years old, and there's a young lady in your class that you just attracted to. Can't just DM her. You know what you have to do? You have to find a way, just like playing double dutch. You got to time it just right to actually approach her. She may be with her friends, maybe with her classmates, and you need to approach her and actually introduce yourself. Say your name, give her a compliment, and then ask for the dreaded phone number. And then you stood there like it was suspended in time at a point where we even passed notes. Do you like me? Yes, no, or maybe. Maybe was on the note. Maybe. Just in case they weren't sure. So now all of a sudden you get lucky. She says yes. 
you can have the phone number. Yay! You're so excited, and you just can't hide it. However, she lives with her parents. So when you call the landline, that's right, landline. Not the iPhone, not the flip phone, the house phone. Then all of a sudden, someone besides her is going to answer the phone. It could be an older sibling. It could be a parent. So now all of a sudden, you're a young teen and talking to somebody's mother or father on the phone, getting to know them and vice versa, almost like a gatekeeper before they ever put her on the phone. How you doing, Mr. or Mrs. Johnson? They're asking you questions now. Who is your mom? Who is your dad? What are your grades like? Those interactions created a level of personal accountability for a relationship before you actually even got a chance to say hello in theory. And hindsight is always 2020. But this is facts on facts on facts. Looking back at it now, the important part was to seize the opportunity to stand up, stand tall, and be confident. And not only have faith in yourself, because there's a faith in rejection, because it does take place more often than not, it seems like, but also earning the trust of everybody you came in contact with before you actually got a chance to communicate with the person that you were trying to interact with the entire time. Now, this principle that I learned as a youth was invaluable to my development. It was the catalyst to meeting my wife, which I actually did that same level of introduction when we met at ESPN. Getting into my career, radio, TV, film, was my major in college. I had to audition for jobs. I had to be prepared. I needed to seize the moment. And my next guest is the perfect example of someone who sees the opportunity when it presented itself. She had no idea that she would be the longtime host of the Today Show after filling in once when the current host was out on maternity leave. Up next, Katie Curry. Welcome to this week's Renaissance Man. And I'm officially a professional. You know, I've been doing this for almost 20 years, covering sports and entertainment. And every now and then you get a wake up call because there's a veteran in the industry that knows more, has done more, and you can learn a lot from. Katie Couric is my guest this week. Welcome to the Renaissance Man. Thank you very much for joining me. Hey, Jalen, it's great to be with you. You know, that term veteran, though, always kind of makes me bristle because I think that's a synonym, Jalen, for old. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. Experienced. And so what has it been like to cover multimedia in this political cycle that has really taken place these last couple of years? 
Yeah, I think it's been so challenging, Jalen. You know, when I think about, I'm sort of out of the mass media business because I think partially because I think it's become an oxymoron and that, you know, it's much more niche media, people doing things like you're doing, people starting companies like I have. But for people who are still working in traditional media, I have really felt for them because you saw in this election, 70 million plus people voted for Donald Trump. When you're working at a major news organization, you cannot afford to totally alienate people. So I think for those folks who have been covering this administration and recently this election cycle, they have had to tread so carefully. And I think We've never had a president who's behaved like this, who has broken so many norms again and again, who has basically tried to shred our institutions like a free press or tried to mock science or at least not respect it. So I think it's been very unsettling and kind of upending to have to figure out how you deal with somebody like this who is still the president of the United States of America. I think you've probably seen me evolve a little bit in my thinking on this. I try to kind of do my best to stay to stay neutral, but it really was almost impossible if you saw the things that he did, the things he said, and the decisions he made to stay completely unbiased. But the one thing we can't get confused is coronavirus is actually taking place. We're in a pandemic. You have your wall of fame up. I have my wall of fame up. We become engineers as multimedia personalities. So how has this period changed your life? You know, I think what it's taught me is that human beings are incredibly adaptable. But it's also taught me that You know, again, this division in our country has really been an impediment for us when it comes to facing this invisible enemy and how important leadership is in every way. You know, I think it's changed all of us. And it's also changed my priorities. I don't think about, you know, I don't have FOMO. I used to have terrible FOMO. And now I feel like it's given me, it's kind of recalibrated my priorities that you really have to, to take care of your, your really good friends and your family. And the rest is great, but it's not what really matters. When my husband was dying of cancer, you know, Jalen, he said, nothing really matters but your family and friends. And I think that's true. You know, we're all on this hamster wheel. We're all trying to do this. And sometimes I think our priorities do get out of whack. And I think when push comes to shove, what really, really matters is taking care of the people in your life that you love. But also, I would probably add to it in in circumstances like this, I'm sure Jay would have said, taking care of people who are less fortunate too. Absolutely. And for me, like when I first got into this industry, CBS sports anchor, James Brown was one of my mentors as a former basketball player that loved football. He worked in football. He wanted to show the world that he's more than just a basketball analyst. This guy could talk about politics. This guy could talk about entertainment. So he put me under his wing, put me on his radio show. He took me to the studio. He did everything. 
Who was somebody that was a mentor for you in your career? Well, I had a lot of them. I didn't have one person in particular. I worked at CNN back in the day when it was just starting. And I had a husband and wife anchor team named Don Farmer and Chris Curl. And when everyone else was saying, you know, kind of dismissing me, I was young. I looked young. I sounded young. I wasn't very good. You know, they gave me a chance and they saw something in me. And You know, I realized to be successful in life, you really have to have someone in a position to make decisions who can give you opportunities, right? It really Mm -hmm. comes down to that. That one person who says, hey, Jalen, you you can do this. Why don't you do a podcast? Why don't you do a, you know, why don't you be a sports commentator? Why don't you do X, Y, or Z? Mm -hmm. You know, and without that, none of us would have the opportunities that we've been given throughout our lives. Certainly I wouldn't. So I would say I was inspired by people like Barbara Walters, who came before me, Diane Sawyer, who, you know, I saw covering the State Department, all kinds of local anchors. But I was really kind of a a bit of a different breed when I came onto the scene, because I think, although, I mean, I think that I was just kind of the every woman. You know, I wasn't glamorous. I was just kind of this girl that could be your neighbor or your sister or your aunt. And so I think I represented the possibility of being a, a journalist, a, a broadcaster who didn't necessarily, you know, fit a particular mold. How about this? You're going to appreciate this. The theme of this episode is called Be Ready to Seize the Opportunity When You Get It. How about that? And yours started on the Today Show in 1991 when Deborah Norville left for maternity leave. And as you mentioned, your career took off from there. Can you share that experience and how you were prepared for the opportunity? Well, the good news was, you know, that was my first, well, that was my probably my biggest on-air moment. But I think the good news for me was that I had been a reporter for 12 years by producer and a reporter. I had worked in local news in Miami and Washington, D.C. I'd worked at CNN doing some on-air work, but also as a producer and assignment editor. So I had really paid my dues. You know, I had learned my learned the craft a little bit. I was still, you know, relatively green. I still feel green today at 63, you know, because it's always a new challenge and you have to approach every assignment as if it's almost, you know, one that you need to do really well. And I've, I've done some really well and some not so well. So I think that I was ready. I was mature enough to handle the attention because it was pretty overwhelming. And I had the experience so that I felt secure and comfortable in my own skin So it was incredibly exciting. It was, I felt bad because I think Deborah Norville is a really talented broadcaster. I think, you know, there are all sorts of reasons and the stars align a certain way that her pairing with with Bryant Gumbel wasn't successful. Her predecessor, Jane Pauley, was loved and was seen as, you know, viewers create a lot of drama. They're sometimes right. They're sometimes, they sometimes recognize drama and they're very protective of the people 
that they've become familiar with and they really care about those people. So I think Deborah was put in a very tough position, but it was uh, it was overwhelming and exciting. And, you know, I think I was sort of built for that job because I really enjoy serious news and breaking news. I had covered the Pentagon, so I'm not a dope, but I also like some of the fun kind of things that we got to do on the Today Show too. I, I'm very outgoing and friendly and, you know, I think I, I do have a big personality, but I also like to be challenged intellectually and I like to think about big, important issues. So I think that was one of those jobs that allowed me to kind of show every side of me, which was fun and very fulfilling. There are so many people out there that see us on television, hear us on podcasts, radio, and want to do what we do. What kind of advice would you give them? Well, I'd say a couple things. I'd say do your homework. You know, I used to read a lot of articles if I was interviewing someone and I'd try to find something really interesting about that person to talk about that maybe people don't know, right? So let's say somebody is a dog trainer or someone loves uh, birding in their spare time or something just interesting and different, right? Or they're an artist or they play an instrument. So I try to kind of pick up on that to make it really interesting. So I would say do your homework, really try to find out a lot about that person and never ask a question that could be answered in a yes or no. And I think also think about things that might be instructive or universal for a lot of listeners. The other thing is to really, really listen, to be interested in that person. And I think that's something that you can't fake. Like you need to, if you want the most out of an interview subject, you have to really be connected. You have to feel like you really care, you know? And I don't know about you, Jalen, but you can tell when someone's prepared you can tell when someone's going through the motions. You can tell when they're, you know, know what they're talking about and they've done their homework. And you can tell if they give a rat's ass about the conversation or about whatever it is they're talking to you about. Now, of course, when there's more, there's more of a confrontational interview with a politician or someone you have to challenge, it's a little bit of a different thing. But in those circumstances, you have to do many of the same things. You have to be, have laser-like focus and you really have to do your homework. So I sometimes, like when I'm doing an interview like that, that I think is going to be challenging, I, I think of what that person's going to say. And I almost in my mind prepare a follow-up. So I have it in front of me. So I have the facts I need to challenge somebody. And then I think you just get better. The more you do it, like Malcolm Gladwell says, 10,000 hours to perfect anything. The more you do it, the better you'll get. So I guess that's the best advice I could give. That's wonderful advice. And going into this interview, that makes me feel good because I've been in full stock mode. Of everything <laughs> about your life, your career, your social media, your fashion, your politics, everything. When you first clicked onto this Zoom, I showed you a picture of you and my producer at a bar mitzvah. Yeah. Okay. 
We've been in full stock mode, Corey and I. And one of the things we notice, whether it's an evening gown or a ball suit, you always have on a watch. <laughs> Stalking your fashion. What's the deal with you and your love for watches? Well, you know, gosh, isn't it funny how people don't, a lot of people don't wear watches anymore <laughs> because they look at their time on their phone, right? Yes. And I think that's actually affected the watch industry, although... My husband and I are big fans of Shinola, a company that started in Detroit, Michigan. And John gave his dad a Shinola watch. I gave John a Shinola watch for his birthday, but I wear a Chanel watch. I wish I knew the the make of it, but it's black and it's kind of enamel. Oh, it's a Chanel J12 watch. Yes. I, for the longest time, felt uncomfortable buying expensive things. I'm just, I'm really frugal. Mm -hmm. I think because I grew up in a very modest home and my parents were very, very frugal and careful with money. And and so it took me a long time to once in a while splurge and and indulge myself. Mm -hmm. So that was a big, you know, indulgent purchase. So I, uh, I'm glad I got it. And I, I wear it a lot, even though I'm not wearing it right now. And I like big watches. Cause I got to be honest, the older I get, the worse my eyes are, which is very helpful when I'm looking in the mirror. Cause sometimes I look in the mirror and I think, damn, I look good. And then I realize I just don't have my glasses on. And then I put my glasses on and in the bright light of day. I'm like, oh, <laughs> so, um, but anyway, yeah, I usually wear a Chanel. What kind of watch do you wear? Well, Chanola. So that's why I'm oh, good. up because I've tried to do a better job of supporting people that either represent my hometown or do a good job of trying to give back to the community. Good for you. You know, I love that. And did I say Shinola? Cause I should say Shinola, but that they got their name. You don't know, you know what, from Shinola, but Shinola. But I went to Detroit, you know, because I did a series when I was at Yahoo about cities that were rising. And Detroit was a really great place to go because although there, you know, listen, there were problem, problems, Jalen, with gentrification. Yes. A lot of people were being pushed out to the yes. periphery of the city. Mm-hmm. But there were also a lot of exciting things happening in Detroit to bring the city back. Now, it's interesting. A lot of that probably has changed since COVID and people seem to be leaving cities. But I went to the factory, the Shinola factory, mm-hmm. and I love the fact that it's it's given so many Detroit residents jobs. And it was just, it was fun because, you know, in every part of putting those watches together and then they have bikes, they have other products too. I just thought it was awesome that they they came to Detroit and built that company right in the heart of Motor City. And that meant a lot of employment for a lot of people. So I'm so glad you, you're supporting them. And I try to do that as well, but probably Chanel isn't, isn't really in need of our support. <laughs> so you've worked for ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, all of the alphabets. Everything but Fox. (laughs) I like what you did there. And then you decided, I'm going to start my own multimedia conglomerate, Katie Couric Media. Talk to me about what it's about to produce and create content independently. It's been really fun. I've been able to start this business 
with my husband, John, who's got a very strong finance background. He's a really good businessman. He's very smart. And we've been able to hire mostly young women who want to be in the industry and really kind of want to play with a new model, which is working with companies that care about big social issues like I do, that want to help inform the public on various things from environmental sustainability to gender equality, racial justice, all kinds of things. And so I collaborate with them. They give me editorial control and freedom, but they're also supporting the the work that we're doing. So it's been a really interesting model. It's not based on like how many clicks does some article get. It's really based on kind of the values that we hold dear at our company and the fact that they happen to align with the values that companies now not only have, but are required to have, not only from consumers. For example, Shinola, you were saying how you you support Shinola because they support the community. And I think consumers want companies that care more about more than just the bottom line. They care about environmental sustainability. They care about employing people. They care about the things that their employees also care about. So it just happened that we we came up with this business strategy and this sort of new paradigm at just the right time. And so far, we've been really successful and it's been really fun. Well, I'm really humbled that you took the time and the energy to join me. You and your team have been really gracious to work with. Feel free to come back and promote anything that you have going on. I'm a huge well, you're fan. you're so nice. Corey, the producer, is a huge fan. But before <laughs> we get out of here, I like to do this segment of rapid fire called Gone in 60 Seconds. All right. Here we go. Oh, God. So I saw you on Instagram and you was hitting a couple of moves. What is your go to song at the party? Oh, I'd have to say Earth, Wind and Fire, September. Oh, that's a classic. <laughs> yeah. I also love This Old Heart of Mine by the Isley Brothers. I know I'm dating myself. But I love that song. And uh, yeah, I guess those two. Two oldies, but goodies. There's no dates on classics. That's why they're called that. (laughs) What is your favorite pre-interview ritual? Huh, that's a good question. Hmm, I don't know. I mean, I probably just review and review and review and scribble additional thoughts on my questions And I guess I just just read my questions over and over again, because I think you can never be too prepared. Of all of the interviews you conducted, who surprised you the most or something that they said during that interview? Oh, my God. These are hard. I think Robin Williams was the wackiest person because you never knew what you were going to get when Robin Williams sat across from you. And what a genius. I agree. Two of the most popular people in music are Cardi B and DJ Khaled. Which one of them do you feel like will have a brighter future in journalism? (laughs) (laughs) In journalism? DJ Khaled. (laughs) I mean, Cardi is really funny. She's funny and crazy and obviously has a huge following. But I would say maybe DJ Khaled. Last thing you watched on Netflix. Last thing I watched on Netflix, 
my octopus teacher is something that is definitely in my queue. But I watched a very cheesy, very cheesy holiday movie that I thought was like, wow. And I'm not going to say the name of it. <laughs> You're so nice. Two more before I let you get out of here. Favorite comedian, dead or alive? Favorite comedian, dead or alive. Oh, God. I really appreciate Trevor Noah. <laughs> Last but not least, we sadly, we lost Alex Trebek of Jeopardy. If you could pick the next host of Jeopardy, who would you choose? Tina Fey. Tina Fey would be good. <laughs> Tina Fey would be good. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm just so happy to to do this. It's been really fun spending time with with you, Jalen. Thanks for having me. Please thank your team as well. They're I all. will. Okay. Take care. Last, last call. This week's last call is about preparation and positioning. How can we be better prepared or better positioned to achieve our goals? Life is about positioning yourself. Dennis Rodman, for example, he wasn't the biggest, the fastest, or tallest basketball player, but he's one of the game's all-time leading rebounders and great champions. Again, not because he jumped the highest, but simply because he studied how to be in the right position at all times. He would literally spend hours upon hours upon hours studying how the basketball would bounce off the rim to give him an advantage over bigger and stronger opposition. So here's my challenge this week for you, me, and we. Write down your goals, but then I want us to challenge ourselves and go a little deeper. Let's jot down what we can do to place ourselves to be in a better position to succeed. For example, always dream of working on Wall Street. To prepare yourself, you may need to go to college and study finance, but to position yourself Maybe running with a different crowd, moving to New York City, get a little closer to the action, make connections in order to break into the industry. Like the great American philosopher, Ricky Rose, once said, appreciate your position while plotting your promotion. This is Jaden Rose, and I'll see you next week.